You're listening to Games from Street Doctors podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief James Batchelor, and I'm joined this week by Managing Editor Brendan Sinclair. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, James. How do we stand in the tired and coffee stakes? Um, getting by. It's, it's Monday, though. It's early. It is Monday, yes. We're not doing our usual Friday recording. It's, it's Monday, so in theory, in theory, we're all a bit more pepped up and rested from the weekend. We also have our newly promoted features editor, Marie D'Alessandre. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Happy to be features editor, I can say. Nice. We're very happy to have you as features <laughs> editor. This is good. It's long, long overdue to like the, the sheer amount of work you do for the site. Like it was, you were, you you spilled over beyond Academy for quite a while. So it's like, right, we we need to need to up the up the game here, and uh, and recognise how generally awesome you are. I do not respond well to compliments, so please introduce someone else. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Also awesome is our news editor Daniel Partis. How are you? Hello. I am all right. I wish I'd have gotten a coffee before sitting down to record this because I'm quite tired, but we'll survive and look forward to coffee afterwards. Okay. And rounding out the pod is the uh, also awesome staff writer Jeffrey Rousseau. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello. I am doing well. I have coffee with me. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But with the tone well and truly set for the show and the the organic intro done there, massive air quotes around that, let's get on with talking about some of the biggest stories of the past week. First topic we want to discuss is um, Outmaking Games' open letter to Rockstar Games. So Outmaking Games is a UK-based organisation that represents professionals on the, the LGBTQIA+, etc. kind of community. Uh, you know, In the games industry, it's to give them kind of a, a safe space and a network to, to talk to and kind of advocate kind of better representation in the industry. They wrote a letter to Rockstar Games based on an article that was doing the rounds on Kotaku about the transphobic elements or the transphobia that is depicted in uh, in and around GTA 5. So naturally Grand Theft Auto 5 is getting more re-releases because that is the game that will never die and will never stop selling. And Carolyn Pettit over at Kotaku wrote this great piece kind of summing up that some of the issues with the way that trans characters are depicted and then the way those trans characters have been used by certain elements of the kind of the YouTube and Twitch community. You've seen videos of them you know, like purposefully beating up trans characters and that apparently is, is a subject worthy of a video. But Outmaking Games kind of came out with this piece kind of supporting Caroline's points of like rock Rockstar has an opportunity here to either remove these elements and improve the depiction because a lot has changed since 2013 when this game first came out or do what a lot of film companies have started doing which is to add context to to add a kind of a disclaimer or something that says like yeah like, these depictions were wrong then they're wrong now this is why they were there you you see a lot of this on say Disney Plus Disney Plus has a lot of like this film contains racial stereotypes that are you know out of line with today's views and today's representations both decent options um but I, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk a bit more about the implications of like what the original content if the game is like the need to change it and uh, out making games is kind of um, message out there Brendan you in particular had some thoughts I'm going to pass to you yeah so this is uh this is kind of tricky I I, I think because on the one hand, Grand Theft Auto, I, I actually have managed to not play Grand Theft Auto 5, but from the examples Carolyn gave of the transphobia in, the, in there, it you know, clearly has some issues. And having played other Grand Theft Auto games in the past, like I'm, I'm very familiar with the tone of the games. On the one hand, I don't enjoy the transphobia in the game and, and a lot of the homophobia and, and such that I had seen in, in Grand Theft Auto games before that. And I don't really want it in there, but it is 
in the game. They made it, you know, 10 years, less than 10 years ago now. And, and it's, that is what that game is. And that game is of historical importance to the games industry, I think, uh, now just because, you know, it's sold over 100 million copies and um, without without saying anything about the particular quality of, of the game, it's really tough to deny its uh, its importance in the medium as, as we've shifted to kind of live service games and, and how uh, important that's been for Grand Theft Auto V. So I, I, I kind of want that Disney Plus stance to be to be taken here like it, it's 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 fine I, I i feel like to to kind of re-release the game and to to have an acknowledgement of like oh well this is this was from a different era is from a different time and it's it's you have to understand that it has to be put into context here in order to appreciate it now because we wouldn't stand by the same stuff right now like we're trying to make this available to you as as sort of a historical documentary because you you loved it originally and we want to let you re-experience it but we don't stand by it in the same way that we did before unfortunately i think rockstar absolutely does probably stand by it the same way they did before i i think that you would have to be it, it would come off as incredibly insincere for for rockstar to all of a sudden just you know like no no that's that's not our style we're we had a a great epiphany in the last eight years or whatever that we've been continuously profiting off this game and and not changing this aspect of it and and i think it, it kind of comes down to an issue that that the games industry in general has with the way it treats its past what disney plus does and what so many you know film companies and animation studios do i i, I think they're a lot better about treating their medium as something of historical importance and something worth preserving or as, as something greater than the commercial production of it, how much money it makes you. And the games industry is terrible at that. The games industry is is terrible about acknowledging its past, preserving its past, embracing its past. It's It's just part of it is because the technology has progressed so quickly and the the difficulty of like oh well let's make the last gen games compatible on this next gen hardware even though the next gen hardware is completely different and you know there's that that software issue that that animation studios and movie companies don't have to deal with in the same way but i think i think part of it is also that that the games industry is is just so new relatively speaking that it hasn't bothered to care about you know curating its cultural legacy in in any kind of a way like we barely even see companies leaning into nostalgia you see a lot of indie developers doing that now for a variety of reasons you see nintendo is is getting pretty good at this in reselling the same games to us again and again and again but a, a lot of a lot of companies they just don't you know, it's on to the next thing. And when they do revisit the the stuff that people love from the past, it's like, oh, well, we remade it. We remastered it. We added a new, you know, DLC kind of expansion to it. And and they, they tweak it. They mess with it. They, they bring back Doom 3, and then they let you have the flashlight and the gun out at the same time, which completely changes the the 
the tone of you know the feel of playing that game when you when you can't have when you don't have to choose between seeing stuff or shooting stuff and and just like it would come across as as sort of hypocritical for rockstar to put the uh the context disclaimer on the new game and leave it the same in the name of uh you know like hey we've we've changed the way that we view things right now because it really everything else they've done suggests that they haven't changed that this is still the sense of humor equal opportunity offender sense of humor that that they've been you know selling for decades now um it it would be similarly hypocritical or it might feel similarly hypocritical to start worrying about you know historical legacy and and preservation in that way now when everything else the games industry seems to do is not only like not worried about preserving history but often seems to be intending to bury it when you have things like and and nintendo again has been better than most other companies in this but like they make the virtual console on the wii and then they they make it on the 3ds but like not all the same stuff comes over not all the same stuff's available and then on the switch it's like hey we're gonna do a subscription service instead and it's gonna have you know a a fraction of the available stuff and everything is kind of against the idea of preserving experiences as they are and and letting people own them and continue to experience them again and again uh if those people aren't being made to pay continuously for that privilege and and that's something that has really bothered me about the way the games industry does its business and i think it's a huge missed opportunity i i interviewed peter moore for uh something that that should be up on the site by the time this uh this podcast is published and and i talked to him about the difference between sports uh which is he went to be ceo of liverpool football club for for a few years and so he definitely you know understands that segment and 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 games which you know he knows from his years at sega microsoft ea and it's it's amazing to look at sports and the way that they lean into the history, uh, tradition, nostalgia, all that stuff. Even if there isn't much of a history of success or, you know, a- anything particularly good for people to remember. I'm in Toronto. I'm a Maple Leafs fan. I am well aware that you do not need to be good in order to have people love you if you lean into the history of your club strongly enough but in games in games like there's nintendo and that is that's about it you know like like sega will will throw out some you know we we made four dreamcast games available on steam or here's the same collection of our first party genesis stuff again and again and again and and beyond that it's just kind of it's kind of sad to see an industry that just does not seem to care about about its history the way that these other successful industries have especially because these other industries have made a tremendous amount of money by caring about their past and leaning into it i i agree you make a a lot of good points there the the one i want to come back to is the idea of this um, context disclaimer, because you're right, I I agree, I think that would be the better way to handle it, because 
as you say, like GTA Five. I mean, I, I think the better way to handle it with the, the these depictions not being the game in the first place at all. But as you say, like this game is is definitely of historical importance at this point. It is it is the biggest selling entertainment product of all time across any medium. So it, making cuts or deciding drawing the line as to where the cuts should be made is a difficult conversation to have and i can i can absolutely see the argument being made for cutting these but then what else do you cut what else how much else do you change putting a context descriptor in your know, context disclaimer would at least kind of offer not make amends as such but like kind of acknowledge the issue but i don't i fail to see whereas with like the disney plus ones or um i saw someone i feel i think the example carolyn game was um gone with the wind and um the the disclaimer that now goes around gone with the wind like gone with the wind and disney plus Disney stuff like, you know, you know, it's on Dumbo and Aristocats and Song of the South hasn't been released in like 40, 40 plus years. These are all really, really old pieces of entertainment. And the reason they are outdated is because the views are decades old, nearly a century old in some cases. I don't understand what Rockstar could possibly say. And like Brendan says, they were unlikely to ever say anything at all. I don't know what Rockstar could possibly say that justifies, yeah, eight years ago, this was OK, but now it's not. Yeah, it's, it seems like you may as well just take the, um, if, if you've learned anything over the, the last eight years, uh, then it seems like you should just take the the transphobic elements out of the game. And, and some of it is the, you know, depictions of some some trans NPCs and, and some of it is uh, silly gags on uh, delivery trucks and, and brands in the game, but yeah we we won't go into the the specific examples but like i'll link in the article um with this podcast i'll link to caroline's article and to um out making games's letter um there is an issue with like you i'm obviously not letting rockstar off the hook here because that shouldn't happen but when you build a world where you enable players to do everything you're gonna have players do things that uh, you would that, that no one wants them to do apart from them it kind of harked back to me to red dead redemption 2 shortly after that came out um there were players who were making videos on youtube of them beating up suffragettes because there are suffragette protesters in the game because historically this was a time when there were suffragette protesters like you know pushing for women's rights and so forth and you can't remove them from the game because that is historically accurate that is a part of the history of the period that this is in they aren't in there specifically to be targets but in making a world that is as interactive as, as rockstar's worlds are you enable that audience to target them and that creates the issue and it's kind of it's kind of a twofold problem it's on the one hand like rockstar wants to create this wonderful massive virtual world that lets you do anything and lets you interact with it in different ways but the downside of that is you are enabling a levels of toxicity that they may not have intended let's be let's be perhaps over generous to them and suggest they didn't intend for this sort of uh depiction oh. to be yeah do you see you see where i'm going with that <laughs> yeah but like these these are not the verbs that Rockstar gives you are not verbs that really suggest, oh, my gosh, here's a big open world where you can do anything. No, the verbs that they give you are largely going to be like, yeah, go ahead and hurt people. Yeah. People here are largely there yeah. to be hurt. And when the people exist in the world and are portrayed negatively, uh, when they are objects of mockery when they are you know presented as as annoying or obnoxious or repulsive or awful or it just it, it, it's kind of priming players 
and inviting them to use those verbs that they have at their disposal on these, hey, they're such deserving targets. Don't you really just want to, you know, punch or shoot or whatever these people? And that, I think, is is the difference because it's it's holding up the the trans characters in the game as deserving targets for the violence of the game. And I, I, I think that that that's kind of crossing crossing a line. It's it's not that, that's fair. It's and, not like, hey, we're I, just poking fun at everyone. It's um No, it, that that's fair. And we're 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 talking about a series that historically, like, you know, the origins of the series was it GTA two, you got bonus points if you mowed down a line of Elvis impersonators and I think who was it in the the original Grand Theft Auto had a similar thing. Like there would be lines of I think they were like Buddhists or some sort of like religious group. Like you just have a line of them and if you mow them all down you get like a massive point score. Like that's that's the the lineage of GTA five. So yeah, you're right. I'm being a, a little way far, far too generous by suggesting, oh, this is just an open world where you can uh, you can interact. No, you're right. You're right. Is, that, this is a bit. I saw that's the main argument I saw a lot of people using, which was arguing that GTA is satire and promotes violence against everyone, um, saying stuff like, "Oh, but that's the whole point." But it isn't, though. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'd, like that's not true. It does target specific groups that are already marginalised in real life, and as Brandon mentioned earlier, they're, they're just punching down literally all the time. And I've not played GTA Five in depth. Like I've played a bit, but so I'm not. Exactly sure what is the violence that's portrayed here, but what I know is that if I was a trans person, I would probably would want be given the option to opt out of that violence, and that's why I'm not completely sure how you could address this, and that's why I'm not said much until now because I don't know whether or not any of the solutions would work and how it would work because you can't just have a disclaimer like putting things into context because I mean you can and it could potentially work but it's difficult to justify either way <laughs> and you you'd still would want probably as a member of the LGBTQIA community to opt out of that violence I think that option should be given but can it be given this it's it's a whole mess I don't know how to approach this issue which is why I've not said much until now what I know is that I feel like GTA gets a pass that most studios don't in terms of how they approach their open world games and I see them as like that last little bit of old school games industry that I despise I'll be honest and that's reluctant to change and I don't know whether or not this is strictly related to what we're talking about. I just know that this this violence and this transphobia shouldn't be in the game in the first place and it actually really saddens me that we have to think about those things, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I kind of understand Brendan's earlier points about preservation, but GTA 5 isn't like the older GTAs where, like San Andreas, for example, where it's out and it's done and it's kind of, maybe there's things in there that are unsavory, but it's it's a reflection of, of the time that it was made in, whereas GTA 5 is as much a 2021 game as it is a 2013 game. It's constantly evolving and being updated and it's still selling and it's it's weird to, to see it as, well, to me, it's weird to see it as a, a game like, oh, it's a reflection of that time because it's still a, one of the biggest games in the world now. That makes sense. So it should kind of also reflect now. I was I was going to say that uh, over the weekend I was watching. I forget what I was watching exactly. I'm sorry, but uh, it was something that came out around I want to say 2015, and there was a storyline where how they uh, handled one of their their trans characters and where it created 
today, literally like six years later, I'm, I'm certain like the language involved would have been different because, you know, a lot of this person's agency was also like mocked, e even though it was 2015 and, you know, we, uh, we, uh, society wasn't that horrible back, back then when it came to this. And, and I'm thinking, um, regarding the, um, conversation with GTA five, there's always that question too. And, and Marie brought this up is that what, what, what kind of quote unquote responsibility does a company have when it comes to these things? Um, and the thing that I keep coming back to is that you, you do have a responsibility. You may not outright think that you do, but whenever you, you put out a statement or you, you say these very simple words that our company is one that supports a, a diverse and inclusive environment. When you say those things, you, you can't then turn around and then have products that kind of slaps that in the face, you know? Now, again, someone could tell me I, I, I'm not right, but, but there's that disconnect, right? Um, and, and I don't know to the degree exactly of how, how bad it is in GTA 5 when it comes to uh, transphobia, but I do think that when it comes to that social responsibility, it, it, it's not simply something that can be hand waved, especially where transphobia in particular, and you know, obviously I'm a cishet male, so take what I say with a grain of uh, salt because I'm not an expert in this, but, but uh, you know, one of the things, one of the machinations that keeps marginalized folks down that's actively, you know, a thing within society is them being the butt end of jokes. Oh, it's just jokes. Oh, it, it, it's not serious. Whatever. That's, that's a part of the larger whole that keeps them marginalized right whether it be from a show a game what have you it's just those things that fit into the larger um puzzle as it were um and and, and when it comes to this do do i really think that they'll put out a statement or anything like that i mean no i i don't have a lot of faith in them to to do that kind of thing unless it, it reaches a fever pitch where it's multiple um companies that that called this out um but, the, but there is that element of what kind of social responsibility that you have, whether or not you you try to dance around it, you do have one. Whether or not directly, you're, you're going to create something indirectly where you do have to address that at some point. Agreed. And a point I was going to make, but kind of corrected myself midway through thinking about my own point is like the... It's not too late to make this. Like I was, I, Rockstar's defense to the open letter and to Carolyn's article would almost certainly be, well, you know, game's a month away from release. Like it's far too late to kind of change that because even just removing a few character models would create, you know, implications across the the entire game. It's a very vast and complex game. You're just removing one asset would cause issues and that would delay the launch or, or cause, you know, player upsetting bugs. Like, yeah, but this is a game that has been, you know, driven for eight years now, um, coming up on a decade by expansions and stuff for the online mode you're not telling me this can't still be patched out within the first couple of months of launch like this is something that just because the game is nearly out and it'll be you know it will still it will still contain this content doesn't mean there isn't still the comp conversation as to whether or not it can be removed adjusted labeled recontextualized whatever whatever they want to do with it there are still there's still time to address it because it, you know, as we've established, like games don't just come out and that's it, they are done anymore, like Marie was saying.
Next up this week, we do want to talk about accessibility in general. Now, we kind of touched on this very briefly in um, Jeffrey's excellent monologue about the various discussions around uh, Deathloop last week on the, on the previous episode. Um, we touched here and there on it, but Marie, you've kind of done some digging. You've done a much broader look at accessibility and the, the issues that companies face when they produce games, particularly in the AAA space, that aren't as accessible to everyone that they could be. Now, we'll clarify right now that does not necessarily mean difficulty. Some games are designed to be difficult. The exa- the argument I saw in sharing Marie's article, I did have people come back to me and say, like, oh, but the point of uh, Deathloop is that it's meant to be difficult. It You're meant to die over and over again. The I'm sorry, I'm interrupting because this makes me angry. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, I, I, okay, we'll address it in a second. But my, my, response, my response was like, because the, the actual tweet I'd put out there was the the thing that someone was replying to was the tweet, one of the quotes you'd done about um, text size and the use of subtitles. So I'm like, how does that affect, even if you add text size and subtitles, how does that affect any kind of creative vision for how difficult this is going to be? You have a much better counteract to this, so go. Um, so yeah, this is a point that was brought out by uh, Courtney Craven, uh, who founded Can I Play That, which is a views website that focuses on accessibility and uh, they pointed out that none of the of the marketing revolves around the fact that the game is difficult you do die a lot because you just keep repeating the same loop so that aspect does make sense but it's not supposed to be hard that's not it's not returnal it's not like a souls game that type of thing um so that doesn't feel like that's part of the core gameplay and that's the main issue and as james mentioned like whether or not the game is supposed to be difficult should not impact its accessibility either features or it's whether or not its design uh, its design is accessible if that makes sense did that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah so you've written like this this much longer piece like exploring Courtney's um view and we kind of managed to get in touch with Courtney like you said and um a few others and exploring like what it is kind of what the issues with accessibility are in the industry why they persist and how they can be overcome. Um, it's a brilliant article. I recommend everyone to give it a read. My question to the team is, do we think we'll get to the point where the solutions that are suggested throughout this article and other ones will become standard, where you will always be able to change text size or subtitles or remap controls or these sort of things? Like, Do we think that that will ever become the industry standard? Because it feels like it should. I think we are well on our way toward that becoming the standard um i i think people are considering these things more and they're considering them earlier in in the development cycle and i i expect that these will be sort of um just features that you plan to put in from the start but i i I think one of the interesting parts about marie's article was a um a quote from steve sailor uh, I think saying that he didn't want Deathloop to just have more, you know, more lives given to players as a as a way to kind of make the difficulty a little bit easier or more accessible or whatever. He wanted the the game sort of fundamentally designed in such a way that it wasn't about you know you have X number of lives to to do it. He he, he wanted something that was from the start just kind of like well this will this will work for people who really want the you know the difficult uh challenge of of the game but also if if you're not capable of of 
doing that for whatever reason, it's it's adaptable to those needs as, as well. It's like, well, you, you will have as many chances as you need to, to, to do this again or, or other design choices that, that just kind of make the game more adaptable and malleable to the, the needs and also just the, the preferences of the player. And, and I think that is the, the bigger, um, longer timeline improvement that the industry is working on. I think, uh, developers today are, um, generally much more mindful of, of the player experience and trying to make it, make every game as, uh, welcoming to as many different players, uh, with as many different levels of ability, uh, as, as possible. And, and I think that's going to continue. But I do think that it is it is going to be kind of slow because it involves a certain amount of uh, clever thinking in order to come up with, you know, different gameplay paradigms that are that are adaptable and and malleable. And it's it's more than just having a checklist of, okay, well, you can change the font size, you can remap buttons, we can uh, we have a colorblind mode and, and change uh, the background on, on subtitles so that there's better contrast for people. Like all that stuff is easy to put on a checklist and, and do. And I, and I think because of that, I think we're going to see that, but, but the, the other stuff is the, you know, the more nebulous, clever and inspired design based around what the audience wants. And and that's going to take longer. And I don't know if it's ever going to be, you know, something you can take for granted the same way that you can take, you know, things like an autosave feature for granted now. Mm. I think someone in uh, in the feature, I think it was uh, Stacey Jenkins, who was saying um, that we are still at the very beginning of the games industry accessibility journey. Um, and for now, people see uh, fe- uh, accessibility options, settings as kind of the norm. Also because uh, some of the most accessible games out there or at least labelled as such, like uh, The Last of Us Part Two, um, are known for the amount of options they gave uh, to players in accessibility options. And But as Brendan highlighted, I think the most interesting things indeed is accessible design and how accessibility can be part of the game from the get-go without being just options you add at the end of the development journey, being like, oh, Maybe we should add subtitles. Um, and there were a few very good examples, I think, that were given by the people I talked to. Um, I really liked one, and maybe I relate to that one because it's a, it's games I've played for hundreds of hours, but um, the Eagle is in Assassin's Creed Odyssey is a, is a good example of a feature that is completely part of the design of the game, but also contributes in making it more accessible. And you, you don't look at that thing, at the Eagle thinking, oh, this is... Um, this is a feature that was added for accessibility. It is just part of the game, but it is helpful and it makes the game more accessible because you can use it to search an area, you can use it to... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, shit. Sorry. (laughs) You can use it to see enemies, uh, things like that. Um, And I think that is definitely 
something that's super interesting and I'll be super interested to see how many games going forward are maybe going to think about accessibility in that way rather than thinking about accessibility just in terms of what options you can add uh, to make it more accessible and just trying to come up with creative solutions to just make your game overall more accessible. Um, and another thing that I, I wanted to mention on that topic was uh, Courtney Craven actually saying that some of these accessibility options that are added should be part of the certification process for games and that is an idea that I support 100%. Um, and I don't know who it is we need to call to make that happen, but uh, I'd like to call them because I think that is that that would make so much sense to have certain features needed to be included for the game to actually be allowed to release. Because a game, I mean, this was fixed later down the line, but a, a game, a collection of game like the Spyro Trial, Spirit, Spyro, Spyro? Yes, that's how you pronounce it. I just had a complete like meltdown in my head right being like is that how you pronounce this game i'm going to do that again um you have games like the spiral reunited Tri trilogy where there wasn't even any subtitles at launch which i find just completely like appalling and i think this is something that should be that should not be happening and having some accessibility features being part of the certification process i think could really help with that so do you think they should give an exemption for, let's say, like ID at Xbox if Microsoft were to impose those rules? What do you mean by that, an exception? Do you think that indie developers, even the one or two person teams uh, putting, putting these games together who already uh, struggle through certification as it is, do you, do you think that they should, uh, is, is, do you think there's room for an exemption for them from, from those requirements? So something I didn't actually include in the feature, but I had a long conversation with, uh, Steve Saylor about how indies approach accessibility and whether or not that is something that is more difficult for them because you don't have the budget or you don't have the time in certain uh, cases. Um, so I don't really have like the straight answer to your question, I guess, but something that he mentioned was how actually indies have more creative freedom to explore accessibility, um, solutions. And so most of the time indies actually do really well in terms of accessibility because they don't have i don't know three people ahead of them uh, not ahead of them above them in their hierarchy to tell them that they can't include x y and z and so they can actually experiment and see what works and what doesn't so i wouldn't actually i personally i guess don't worry too much about whether or not indies are accessible because i think they're most of the time ahead of the curve but i do see what you mean and it can be very difficult to release a game so you wouldn't want to add another challenge to get there um so yeah i guess there could be exceptions i don't know what the exception would be and how you would approach it but I don't know. I Neither do I. <laughs> that, I that's I in, it's encouraging, though, to hear that uh, it actually isn't uh, worse with with indie games than it is with AAA. I, it's my my like it's anecdotal, I guess, but it is my personal experience as well that a lot of indie games in recent years I've found have been ex extremely accessible. I'm thinking about Chicory in particular right now. That's the first example that comes to mind. But for a game that relies on color, uh, they've done a lot of amazing things to make sure the game would be accessible to like a, a large amount of people, a large number of I'd people. Put, I'd put Hugh out there as another example. Like Hugh's one of those game, indie games that's reliant on you distinguishing colors from one another. And they obviously added various systems to kind of help those who are colorblind kind of identify the different colors because otherwise you're then locking out an entire part of your audience so yeah um 
there, there is some good work in the indie space certainly like the, the one i always like to call out is um uh moving out their assist mode is superb at making it making the game much more accessible not just to because accessibility is not just about um making it accessible to players with disabilities but also like you know it it makes it more accessible to younger children or those who are just not as good at games like it's you're, you're expanding by making your game easier to play for more people and again easier is not always difficulty but more accessible to play for more people you are expanding your audience and i don't understand how that is a bad thing the uh <clears throat> the mention of indies uh just reminded me of charles mcgregor's hyperdot which is a really cool game to start with uh it's just like a you know you're piloting a little dot through a play field and avoiding obstacles um but it uh, is also completely playable using only eye tracking which is wow. uh, one of the one of the cooler accessibility uh, options I've I've seen in a game, and again, you know, that's coming from an indie dev, and I don't, I certainly don't think that no matter how much focus uh, Naughty Dog puts on accessibility in their games, I don't think we're going to see eye tracking control through Uncharted or Last of Us anytime soon. That's an interesting one, actually, because a, a quote that stuck with me from uh, the accessibility article that Murray did was from Courtney um, as well, who said, like, if you're active in the accessibility community or you're connected to it, um, it feels like these types of considerations are just a thing that everyone thinks about. But in the grand scheme of things, it's still a very small area and it, it's only it's only something that you'll deal with if you have a dedicated team um sort of like naughty dog or like ubisoft would um and that sort of implied to me that a lot of smaller studios and indies wouldn't have the facilities to kind of take on accessibility options or have them at the forefront of their development journey if they don't think that it's worth the time or that people aren't going to benefit from it or that many people are going to benefit from it so it's it's really cool to to hear that indies are kind of paving the way for those kinds of features and also if teams that are bigger than indie developers are struggling to have that then it it just kind of seems to me that we need to open the conversation up and have more people that understand these options and need these options um consulting with those teams and being part of those teams to make sure that these options are being implemented in the future and I think we're on that journey, but it's it's still something that's a work in progress. Yeah, um, reading this article, there was one quote, uh, well, two actually from um, Kennedy Griggs that I liked, um, Dynamic Reactions, where Griggs mentioned that, you know, one of the things that they're able to do is that, you know, they could talk to Ubisoft's accessibility department and just hey, are you folks taking notes about accessibility, um, you know, features or feedback, what have you, uh, in particular about games? And I, I think that, too, is an important part of addressing, you know, let, let's not beat around the bush. A lot of this uh, comes from ableism because we're, we're still, a lot of us are still learning that being disabled, you know, is still being marginalized and ableism in itself is is still very much where, you know, society caters to you so much unless you stop and think about it, you 
have no idea how large the scope of that is, but that's a whole different conversation. But um, getting back back to this in particular with games, and I'll mention the other quote I thought was really cool too was that I I, I bought uh what what indie game that I buy recently unsighted, and you know as soon as I had the option to pause the game, I went straight to the options and I went to text size, and, it, and you know in my head I'm like okay I see you have larger there before I click on it. I was just bracing myself because some games, you know, you say you're making text larger, but really it's just like barely two font sizes up. And actually the text size was larger. And I'm like, thank you. You know, indie games are good about this kind of thing. And all, all more to that game's point as well, it, it, it's the kind of game where things are kind of on a time limit, but it has like a casual mode where it really slows everything down so you don't have to feel as pressured and I also, you know, just want to mention that indie games are, are really good about that thing as well um, when it comes to accessibility. But, you know, not just text size, but that's one for me because, you know, my vision problems. Uh, the other thing that Greg's mentioned as well was that how, what, what kind of excuse can we make about accessibility when it comes to AAA games when Naughty Dog did it with The Last of Us? And I thought that was a really great quote because I'm like, wow, you're right. <laughs> because they did that and and you know there's other triple a games that did that as well and, and when it comes to accessibility i keep thinking of you know we we mentioned how courtney mentioned that they, uh, they should definitely be a part of the certification process and also i think that they we we should keep moving further away from the fact that they're included you know react you know as a reaction you know uh we of course so many things go into creating a game, but um, as Randy mentioned from the start, it should definitely be something that that's just a part of it from the beginning. Because um, when I was reading and, and hearing other people's views, just to see that someone says that, oh, I can't play this game because of the way that, you know, for these reasons right here that are very, very legitimate for, re for reasons that I just take for granted for myself. And this is a pet peeve, but this is something I'm going to mention. To me, it makes no sense whatsoever to have an attack button on a trigger on a PlayStation controller. I'm sorry. It's 2021. That thing can either jam up why it's not on X, circle, or triangle. I'll never understand. And if you do not have button remapping, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, um, I forget what other game I was playing as well. But, like, you know, one of the things they mentioned during this tutorial is like, hey, you can just open up the menu and re remap buttons if you want. Um, and, and I think that's another part of the conversation that's important as well. But uh, yeah, but j just to wrap this up, we've had enough AAA games that do it now where it, it's really not an excuse. And um I think about a conversation, well, it was really an interview that I had with an indie developer where he he developed a, a shoot-'em-up. And as we all know, those games are notoriously like difficult for a bunch of reasons. And he, he literally just went to a show and he was like seeing how folks were reacting to the game and, and demoing it. And then he, he mentioned that just from one show he went to and he had interactions with disabled um with disabled folks, he literally went back and he scrapped how the game was designed entirely just so he could then make it where it can be played with literally like one hand on one side of the controller. Because he 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 realized that the way he originally had it was very like old school the way it's played in the 1990s, but that doesn't that wouldn't serve a lot of people these days. And you know, it's not so much he had epiphanies more that he literally spoke to people face to face 
And then he realized, oh, okay, this is where my game is failing. This is why this won't really be as accessible as I think it is for these reasons right here. And I don't know how long it took him to that. I think he, he said from that point, it took him an additional you know, seven months or what have you. And it turned out to be fairly successful, whatever the case may be. But I thought that was really poignant when I think about these conversations about accessibility that someone literally just spoke to people and then stopped and then realized, oh, okay, so this is not going to work for most people. Let me just go back and redo this entire vision that I had. I know that most game companies might not do that. And, you know, being indie helps more when it comes to this kind of thing. But I think that kind of perspective is important as well when it comes to these conversations regarding accessibility. So I, I hope we have less of them, less of these conversations, but more conversations about like we're rewarding how much more accessible games are. Yeah, I think that that was another another quote from from Kennedy Griggs in there was that if you actually talk to disabled players, it's really not rocket science to figure out how to make your game more accessible. And I think that's really something like Jeffrey's right. It's really something that more developers should think about, and it's kind of mind blowing to some degree that some do not think about that because yeah, really, if you talk to people, you can actually figure it out. That's funny how that works, eh? So yeah, in and as as you mentioned as well, the fact that. The Last of Us did it shows as well that really, if you want to do it, you, you can do it. And decided to not have your game be accessible is a choice. The fact that when you start Deathloop, you cannot preview the size of the subtitles. Yeah, that's that's also a choice. And that, it always kind of annoys me because these are very easy things. No, I, mean, I, I don't know if they are easy things to do. I'll be honest, I'm not a game developer. But they seem to be basic things, at least, that you can probably figure out. And it doesn't seem to me, again, knowing nothing about how you make games, I will assume that. Yeah, I feel like you can probably just preview subtitle sizes and that shouldn't be something that's that difficult. And it's kind of crazy to me that you wouldn't put that option in in, in 2021 when, when The Last of Us Part 2 has other 60 uh, features available. Um, so, yeah, I think I think... Someone mentions in the feature that there's three things that are like the basics, which are subtitle size options, um, buttons remapping, and what's the last one? Colorblind uh, options. And I think if you, if you can start there, that's already a good a good thing, a good place to start to consider things from that angle. One more important note. This is very very important, and I cannot stress this enough. Make the text size bigger, <laughs> please. <laughs> That Please. always winds me up. The, the, the text size always winds me up because, like, that going back to Marie's point, like, of it being a choice, that is a choice. Like, we've, we, the industry has decided that it wants these very kind of sleek, minimalist UIs that, that don't get in the way of your, know, like, these wonderful worlds and environments that, we, that they've created. That, you know, they want you to be as immersed in the graphics and the, the world as possible and not paying attention to, like, text or subtitles or menus or sidebars or UI or whatever. But you go back to games of like two generations ago, three generations ago. I, out of some weird reason, I sorry, I actually fired up Star Wars Bounty Hunter uh, a couple of months ago because there is no Mandalorian game. So I thought that is the closest I'm going to get to it. And the UI is huge. And the subtitles are like half the blooming screen. And on a 50-inch TV, that looks particularly weird. But equally, you think, right, but I can see everything now. I've got all the information I need. This, this is what games should look like for those who want them to, because this is how they used to look like for all of us. HD was okay. a mistake. 
On that note, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We're going to be back next week with another new show. In the meantime, you can find all our previous podcasts on the podcasting platform of your choice. And of course, you can get more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. 